Welcome to the Sound and Marketing Podcast. This is Season 3's Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Gina Isham, owner and founder of Dreamer Productions and Sound in Marketing Learning. I create, consult, and educate brands and individuals on the power of sound in marketing. In Season 3, I got to speak to a lot of very cool people and companies doing some very interesting and incredibly relevant things in the sound space. First up was Jay Capadia of GM. Jay is the lead sound design engineer at General Motors. He designs the interior sounds of all vehicles, such as seat belts fastening, turn signal sounds, center stacks, and infotainment. Jay is also the main composer for the pedestrian-friendly alert functions on electric and autonomous vehicles. Music is painted on the canvas of silence. But the challenge what we are facing here is, along with this blank canvas, there is a restriction placed. We have to match the regulations as well. So what does that mean is some of the one-third octave bands has to meet a specific SPL levels. The challenge here is I would have the most beautiful sound created in Hollywood for for a film, but can that sound be used in the vehicle right now? Uh, Answer is yes and no. Yes, you can use that sound. Uh, know if it doesn't meet the regulation. So we want to make sure that it's a sound which is pleasant, yet the sound is alerting. So that's a very delicate balance of meeting the legal requirements versus making the customer happy. And that's where the whole challenge of sound design starts. Next, I spoke to Roger Kibbe, Senior Developer Evangelist of Viv Labs. Viv Labs is the brain behind Samsung Bixby. Roger has worked in voice and conversational AI strategy and execution for quite some time. He brought up some really great points about contextual awareness. Talked about how Bixby is different from our competition. Really, I think two primary ways. One, we're inherently multimodal. And two, we're focused on devices that are not smart speakers. All devices that Bixby is currently on have screens. So what this means is that when you're building a Bixby capsule, a capsule is what we call a voice app, you know, Alexa calls them skills, Google calls them actions, you're building a multimodal experience. As a matter of fact, you need to. I think there's a lot of voice assistants who have kind of rich support for graphics and multimodality and kind of the output, but also on the input with Bixby. So if you're asking for input at Bixby, on the UI, you can have a form, you can have a slider, you can have buttons, so you can interact with it via the screen or your voice, really depending on contextually contextually what works best for you in that situation. I mean, I love voice, but sometimes tapping a button on a screen is better than speaking to things. And so it gives you that capability. I love smart speakers. I have smart speakers in my house all over the place. I think they're great. I think we've done wonders with them in the industry. But if we're gonna grow as an industry, we're gonna have to kind of move beyond the smart speaker. What I mean by that is there's a whole group of people who would never go out and buy a smart speaker, but they certainly might go out and buy a Samsung TV. And then they bring it home and they're like, oh, this is cool. I can talk to my technology. And now you have a new voice consumer who's now talking to a device. They didn't buy it because that voice is kind of just a feature of it but now they discover it and now they get comfortable with talking to their technology. And I think that's gonna unlock a bunch in the industry and I'm super excited about that. 
I talked with my friend Shamala Priyaga about autonomous voice in auto. Shamala has more than 18 years of experience designing for mobile, web, desktop, and smart TV interfaces. Her work for Ford was of keynote, and her new education platform, the Digital Assistant Academy, were more than impressive topics. We are, as an industry, more reactive to uh, designing things than proactive. When Alexa was launched many years back, turn-taking was not even possible, or remembering the context was not possible. Well, if you said, what is the weather in Seattle? It would say the weather is rainy, blah, blah, blah. If you say, how about Michigan? It would not know what you are saying. People started saying, oh, you know, it does not work. You know, I want more conversational. That's when they went back and fixed some of those things. But if there was a set process where we are thinking end-to-end about all of those things, if they were right frameworks in place, which will help people think about all of these end-to-end, so they can design an experience which works and not, you know, something we have to go back and fix back and forth after we have launched it. I want people to make wise choices from the beginning, the basics, to thinking about ethics, privacy, inclusivity, everything. That is the vision with which I started the academy and uh, we provide you know, intense course. The next episode was with my old friend, Steve Williams, former VP of post-production services at Universal. We had a lot of fun geeking out about sound and cinema. We discussed how sound raises the level of your end product, the differences in early sound tools as opposed to today, the relevance of home video, the COVID pivot, and being mindful of the sound produced and being sensitive to the ear. Sound is, as we know that phrase, the 50% of the process, but there is always the director's vision about how they play into and how the balance of that is really going to be. I think George Lucas took it to another level when, um, you know, on Star Wars and changed the whole sound community. Alfred Hitchcock, to me, was a master at using sound in his movies. Um, The use of silence and space in between sound. And that was part of the thing in terms of coming up with the language that the sound team and the director can communicate that they're on the same page. You come up with a language that you understand, you need less communication because there's an understanding of how that person sees art, sees uh, the storytelling, sees this and sees that. And so consequently, that means you can do more work, the less you have to explain, right? So familiarity is really, really important in, in these sort of things, you know, and, and coming up with an understanding so that when everything comes up to that final time, when it's ready to listen to everything together, there's a comfort factor that there was an understanding. Oh yeah, you covered this. We did that. I brought back to the show, RFL Buzan of Mindshare and her cohort at the NeuroLab, Mike Schulte to talk about how our brains process podcasts and how effective podcast advertising can be. The brain is constantly processing, you know, all of our senses together. And when those senses don't line up, when there's any kind of discrepancy between our visual and our auditory input, the brain really doesn't like that. And I mean, ultimately, ads have actors who are acting. And at times, their facial expressions or what they're doing might not sync up perfectly to uh, what they're saying, because again, it's acting. But when there's not that 
second sense kind of as that that check on that experience and it really is just the script in an audio ad or in an audio environment uh it it feels much more realistic because you're not having that clash of processing between those two inputs audrey arbini of audio brain was up next audrey and her company audio brain have been in the sonic branding industry for decades they have seen the rise and evolution of sonic branding and sound marketing you're going to use sound anyway. You're going to have a device that's going to need sound, a sound logo, or you have a, a score for a video. You're going to use sound anyway. Why wouldn't you want it to be your sound? Why wouldn't you want it to be where the second they hear it, they know it's you? I spoke to John Stein of the Open Voice Network. His organization is doing some really great things for the voice industry and for implementing standard practices and structures for voice AI development. Can we make voice worthy of a user's trust? Now, that's a loaded phrase. Can a user trust voice on topics like data use, on privacy? Can a enterprise user, you're a marketer, you want to reach all your customers. Well, right now, there's not really interoperability in voice, so you need to do it for this platform, this platform, this platform, this platform. And if someone's on another platform, you're not going to reach them. Do you want to trust, and you should if you're an enterprise user, that your brand persona will be reflected accurately? You have control over your brand. You have control over your brand's data. And then finally, from a user's perspective, there's all too often people use voice and they kind of feel stupid. They don't know what to do. Can we make it, can it be trustworthy so we just are comfortable using voice, much as we're comfortable using the internet? So when we say user trust, it's a multifaceted definition of user trust. It's the individuals, it's the enterprises, it's the marketers, the advertisers, the brand owners. How do we make voice across the board from all those definitions worthy of user trust? We rounded out the end of season three with my friends at Studio Resonate at Pandora. Mia Kinzaki and Brian Ostreicher spoke with me about a very interesting case study that they did for Dove that involved four of the five senses. It's not very common, you know, for brands to create this multi-sensory experience for the listener. You know, we serve advertising or, you know, we make content, but for something to give the the consumer is something that they can actually experience with the product that taps into so many senses, you know, so many like dimensions. Um, we are really excited. And this is also what Dove was always looking for from us as well is like, how do we do something that's like just breaks the mold is like different from anything else. That's what we want to hear about. That's what we're interested in. Now we've been told stories since we were little kids and, you know, that's the, the voice is such an intimate um, thing. There's just so much, again, authenticity. So much of it resonates on a, a global level. Coming up in season four, I wanted to focus on definitions. Because if you don't fundamentally understand the industry, it's harder to navigate it and harder to ultimately succeed. And that's why every episode will start with what is. Ideally, you can scroll through the episode titles and decide what specific voice topic you want to focus on for the next 15 or 20 minutes. 
Season 4 premieres Tuesday, June 22nd with our first episode, What is Social Audio? with Ahmed from Witlingo. For more information on sound and marketing, industry resources, courses, and to connect with a really amazing community, go to soundinmarketing.com. If you're a brand that is looking for a more specific assessment of their sound marketing options and or interested in creating sonic branding, go to dreamerproductions.com. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com. And let's chat. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Loving the show? Don't forget to subscribe on all the major podcast channels. Share with friends, follow, and rate it. Spread the word because, well, more people should know about this stuff. I know you know that now. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.